the pastor, the Bible, and the church. Last week, we examined four promises that can change your life. The Bible, of course, as we saw, the Bible overall, when we think of the Bible, what is it? It is a book of promises. That's what it is. This is why we put our faith in it. This is why we stake our lives on it. This is why we order our lives by it, because we see it as a book of promises, and in fact, it is. It is the word of God. God can't lie. Therefore, what he has to say is true. If what he has to say is true, we can put our confidence in it. It is indeed a book of promises. We saw last week in verses 11 through 13, it is a faithful saying. We saw these four promises last week. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. We saw first the promise of eternal life for all who will believe or trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. We saw secondly the promise of reward for the faithful disciple. That is, if we shall suffer or endure, we shall also reign with him. The promise of disapproval for the unfaithful believer. If we deny him, he will deny us. In other words, if we don't honor Jesus with our lives, he will not honor us. He will deny us reward when we stand before him. And then number four, the promise that the Lord will always be faithful, even if we are not. Even if we are not. And I am so glad about that. Now, these four promises are in a sense a roadmap for general truths, but powerful for us to believe and give heed to. That all being true, and it is, and we know it is, this raises a very important question. Here it is today. How can you claim a promise that you are unaware of? They are important. They're important truths. The promises of scripture are important truths. How can we claim those promises if we don't know what those promises are? Are. And that leads us to pick up in verse 14 and following, where we see some of the very important applications of the promises of Scripture. Now, very important to understand this today. I've shared this with you before. I get all kinds of different emails from either individuals asking Bible questions. I got one, one last night. I have to answer this afternoon. Or I get periodicals of one kind or another, and they talk about, okay, the church is changing, or this has happened, and this is going to change the church for the future, and, and this thing is, how is this going to impact this and that, and how about COVID-19? Of course, you can imagine how many emails have come in the last year about COVID-19. All these different things, and, and it's like, okay, here's all these variables, the change of this and the change of that, and so on and so forth. Has God called us to fully understand every detail of every variable and every change that's taking place and deal with every single thing in a completely competent way? No, that is not the ministry of the church. God wants us, yes, to know what's going on, and we do know what's going on, but folks, our job is not to unravel and undo every strange idea that comes. Our job is the preaching and teaching business. That is the goal of the church, evangelism and discipleship. If somebody doesn't want what we have, we can't force it down their throats. We offer it. We have it. We make it accessible. Hopefully we make it understandable. 
So what do we see, okay? What about applications? Well, number one, we need to know the word. We need to know the word of God, verses 14 through 18. That's why when people ask about our church, what is Northland about? Very simple. Jesus Christ and the word of God. That is what we're about. We're not going off track and getting involved in social justice causes or reparations or this thing or, or that thing, all that other stuff that is going on. We believe the Bible. People say, what do you believe about racism? Real easy. It's settled in John 3.16. There's one race. It's the human race. I don't care whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're red, whether you're whatever you are, God loves you. Jesus died for you so you could have eternal life. He rose from the grave. And if you trust in him, regardless of where you live on this planet or what your skin color is, he will give you the same everlasting life that he gave me. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons. We ought not to be either. And that means either elevating one above another or pushing one down. Everybody's the same. If you get cut, you're going to bleed the same red blood that I do. Maybe a different type, but that doesn't matter. We need to know the word of God. That's why we do what we do at this church. That's why the Bible is central. And the person of the Bible, Jesus Christ, is central. It's what it is about. If you want to learn the Bible, come to our church. You will learn the Bible. So we need to know the word, verse 14. Of these things, what things? The things we just covered, those promises. Foundational promises that can change your life. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Now we will we'll unpack that. It says, strive not about words to no profit. Now, th- believe it or not, verse 14 is a difficult verse. It really is. You really have to dig to understand what it's talking about. Many believe it's talking about splitting theological hairs and about the meanings of words. They'll say, well, we shouldn't be concerned. It's verse 14 is saying we shouldn't be concerned about the details of the meaning of a word. You would, you'd be amazed how many commentators believe that's what verse 14 is talking about. They say this means we should simply major on the majors and promote unity and not worry about the finer details of what words mean. Now, In my opinion, this just does not hold up to the context of this passage, as you're going to see. And why do I say that? Well, here's a question today. (laughs) When you look at verse 14 and then you look at verse 15, it talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. Isn't that kind of a contradiction? Don't worry about what words mean, but rightly divide the word of truth. Wait a minute. That's part of rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm getting ahead of myself. But isn't the meaning of words, especially in the Bible, important? Absolutely it is. Email I received last night asking about repentance. Uh, We notice your doctrinal statement. It says this about repentance. You define it this way. Is that that really what it means? And and doesn't it mean you have to be sorry for your sin or have sorrow for sin and, and all these different things? Now, I could just say, well, you know what? Don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter. We don't want to make an issue of that. That's splitting a theological hair. No, friend, we need to make an issue because words matter. Proverbs says every word of God is pure. That means it's important too, right? So what is verse 14 saying then? 
See, verse 15 says we are to be diligent to knowing exactly what the Bible says, and that means the accurate study of words because it is called the what? The word of God. So what is verse 14 saying then? Here's what I believe it's saying. First, don't get into wasting time debating with false teachers about their false doctrines. Okay? There is very little profit in this kind of stuff. There are people who want to argue. I get emails occasionally, very seldom, by the way, a lot less than I would think that I would. Maybe word's gotten around that I won't fight. And I won't. I'm not a touch typist. I am spiritual in the way I type. Seek and ye shall find. But I've been doing it for a lot of decades now, and I can make my way around a keyboard pretty fast. But here's the point. It's still labor. A couple years ago, I had somebody, they gave me a list of over 20 questions to answer. And I said, I might get to this someday, but I didn't tell them this, but I said, don't hold your breath. Because I just, I have folks, you know what? If you want to call, I'd be glad to talk to you on the phone. But don't ask me to, to formulate documents answering 20-some questions. I have a responsibility to the people in our church here, okay? Now, if you want to have questions, you got concerns about salvation and so forth, even that, call the church. I would be glad to talk to you about that if you want to understand how to be saved. I try to make it clear in our messages, but nevertheless, we always have room for that. But here's the point. Don't waste time debating with false teachers. I used to get emails. I don't get many, as I'm saying, I don't get many nowadays, but they, people, they want to say, well, you're, you say this. Okay, you say this. I think this. What do you say about it? What do you answer? How do you respond to this? And how do you respond to that? And how do you respond to that? And how do you respond to that? I mean, you can tell by the spirit of the email, they just want to argue. I say, look, if you are seeking an answer, you already know my answer because you're objecting to it. I don't have time to argue with you. I'm sorry. There are many other people seeking the truth. Okay? Some just want to argue. There are more important issues to spend my time on. Remember, your time is your life. Do we get this? Time is life. Make sure you're spending your time properly. If you want to argue with me, I don't have time to argue with you. If you are seeking the truth, I do have time for you, but not to argue. What we believe is clearly presented. If you don't believe that, don't say, well, I want to argue with you about it. Because I won't argue. It takes two people to argue. You can argue with yourself, but don't argue with me. Secondly, their false teachings destroy people's lives. Don't get in a debate with them about their false teaching destroys people's lives. You notice it says here in verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not. Those you are teaching, Timothy, that they strive not, don't, tell them don't get tied up with people who just want to fight about weird ideas. That they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. False doctrine never profits anybody. Strive not about words to no profit. And you notice what it does subverts the hearers. The word subvert, subverting here, it means to overthrow the overthrow of the hearers. 
False doctrine overthrows those who adopt it. What we need to do is answered, by the way, in verse 15, in contrast to verse 14. By the way, the word subverting here, very interesting. If you looked at it, the spelling is a little different, but if you looked at it, the Greek word is the word catastrophe. False teaching makes a catastrophe of the lives of those who embrace it. Now, if all I do is go around putting out the fires of false teaching, but I never give the truth, is that really going to benefit anybody? No, because they're going to go from one false teaching to another, to another, to another. What I need to do is give them what they need, spend my time giving people what they need, and that is the truth. See, people get so sidetracked that it pulls them away from the Lord and their lives are destroyed by some weird false teaching that comes in. This will be taken up more in verses 16 through 18. Be careful, okay? And don't be naive, especially today with the internet. People, I say this to all of us here today. Be careful and don't be naive. One of the things that we have a hard time getting through our minds and accepting, and I include myself as well as all of us here. Listen, we were raised in America. We have a presupposition that when somebody says something, they're telling the truth. That is part of our fabric, a Judeo-Christian ethic. When you speak, you're telling the truth. But I'm telling you, more and more people, they don't care about that. The truth, they have forsaken truth. And the only truth to them is their agenda. And they believe in it, many of them. That's why, you know, we, we go into these, we make these treaties with these foreign countries. And, and uh, we, we go into a treaty, and of course, you know, it can be many times a disaster. And then they break it, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, you can't break that. You made a treaty with us. They don't operate by the same ethics as we do. Truth to them is anything that advances their cause. Do you understand? They redefine things. Or they know what truth is and they just don't care. There are people when it comes to, though, theology, false teachers are demonic in influence and they, on purpose, want to enter, want to get people to embrace things that are not true. And I'm telling you, the internet is the wild, wild west for this. And there is everything under the sun. And here's the truth of it. If you have an idea that you believe in, Within a matter of an hour, you will find plenty of people that agree with you, whatever your perspective is on anything. That's the truth of it. But folks, when it comes to the word of God, it's extremely dangerous. You better be careful. You measure everything by scripture in context, not scripture out of context. So their false teaching destroys people's lives. Okay, be careful, which leads us to this. If we shouldn't be wasting our time debating with false teachers about their strange false doctrines, if their false teachings destroy people's lives, and they do, then what do we do about it? Well, here you go. C, how do we recognize and deal with error? We deal with error by knowing the truth. That's what people need. 
we should be diligent to know the truth. Verse 15 does not contradict verse 14. Verse 14 tells us to not waste our time on fruitless arguing, but rather, verse 15, give our attention to what we know God's word says. That is what people need. Somebody says, well, I want to debate Calvinism with you. I don't have time to debate Calvinism with you. I will give you some basic truths. And the basic truths that I will share with you are so powerful, they will simply destroy Calvinism. Our little booklet, by the way, that we have is one resource. It's on our website. It's a free download. For those of you here in person, we have some in the, in the resource center. It's called The Alls of Salvation. The Alls of Salvation. The points in that little booklet are irrefutable. Irrefutable. And I won't get into a big thing, you know. Well, they all want to say, well, foreknowledge is, is more than just knowing beforehand. No, it's not. No, it's not. Break the word down. Look up the words. What do they mean? No, it's how people are using the word foreknowledge. That's the problem. Foreknowledge is knowing something beforehand. That's what it is. Yeah, but it's more than that. No, it's not. Sorry. Well, I want to argue with you. I'm not going to argue. I just told you what the truth is. I'm moving on. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what you need to deal with this kind of stuff. 2 Timothy 2.15. Rather, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study, it literally means to be diligent, to make an effort, to labor. It's translated as, as, as these words, labor, endeavor, be diligent, okay? But the context of the verse in verse 15 has to do with actually studying the scriptures, okay? Because people will say, they'll criticize the King James, and they'll say, well, that word study, it really doesn't mean study, it just means be diligent. Yeah, but read the rest of the verse. What is he talking about being diligent about? Rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you do that? You do it by studying. Granted, the word study is an interpretation, but nevertheless, it doesn't violate the verse. It is true. And this is what we need to do. The context of the verse has to do with actually studying the scriptures. And you notice what it says at the end of verse 15? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing, that's one word. It means to make a straight cut, to dissect properly, correctly. It's like a surgeon taking a sharp scalpel and going, very precise cut. That is a pastor's job. To do that, one of his jobs is to do that. A Bible teacher, to do that. Do not handle this book in a sloppy way. Listen, for those who are preachers or preachers to be, let me tell you something. Don't you dare come up with what you want to say and then go out and find verses for it. You are making yourself the subject. Study the word and let the word of God determine your outline and your subject matter. It's not the other way around. We don't use the word of God. We expound, we share, we preach and teach the word of God. Do you see the difference? It is not, oh, here's my Bible. I will use you to accomplish what I want. No, it's this. Lord, you've called me to accurately preach and teach what you 
say, I have a responsibility, a sacred trust to be accurate in telling the people what it says. That is the right approach. That's a biblical approach. That is the one that honors God. Very important. Very important. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Know what is wrong, know what is right, and then warn the people about it. Tell them what is wrong about what's wrong, yes, but tell them the true answer then, and that brings the balance. So it leads us to our next point. How is a pastor going to lead the flock by the scriptures if he doesn't know what the scriptures actually say? Do you know there's a lot of that going on today? The crazy ideas that our churches are coming up with as far as what God is calling them to do and and so forth. Listen, friend, God has already told the church what to do. Evangelism and discipleship. It's all incredibly important that we stick to that. The most important thing a pastor can know is the word of God. A pastor is a shepherd. That's what the word pastor means, shepherd. And his job is to lead, feed, and protect the sheep. Just like a shepherd out in the the field, there's those sheep, okay? Some of them are good and some of them are bad. I couldn't resist. I had to do it. Whenever that comes up, I just kind of give into it. Lead, feed, protect. Just like the shepherd out in the field with his sheep, he is to lead them, he is to feed them, bring the food or where they can get food. And then he has to protect them, protect them from the wolves. So when I come out against something and I preach or teach against something, and I even at times name names like I did today in Sunday school, am I doing that for my own gain? No, I'm doing that to let you know where error is and stay away from it. And then giving God solutions to it. See, it's a balanced ministry. That's the way it's supposed to be. There's no personal gain involved in this. It's what we're supposed to be doing. And that is, by the way, what the Bible does, right? The Bible is what he is to lead, feed, and protect with. This is the tool. I lead according to the Bible. I feed the word of God to people so that they can eat it. My job is to to prepare the meal, set the table. You are invited. It's up to you to consume it. And then to protect. And I protect by telling you, At times, what false doctrines are out there, I let you know, and then I move on. Again, that doesn't contradict what I said about verse 14. I'm just saying don't get into it with the false teachers. I'm not saying don't warn the sheep about what the false teachers say. But you don't have to know every detail about what the false teachers say. Just know why it's wrong and how it violates what we know to be true in Scripture. Has to be done. Well, I don't want to... I don't want to be negative, okay? I I want to be like Joel Osteen. You know, I think he's a nice guy. I don't know. Maybe you say, well, I don't think he's a nice guy. Well, I think he's a nice guy, but he certainly isn't doing the job he's supposed to be doing as a pastor because it's not just being a life coach and patting people on the back. It's preaching against wrong as well. That's part of the ministry. The Bible is what... A pastor is to lead, feed, and protect with. It will bring salvation to the lost, and it will bring growth and spiritual health to the saved. It will take you from being a lost sinner to a dedicated fisher of men, if you'll let it. And that's exciting. And that's what discipleship, by the way, is all about. 
from a lost sinner to a dedicated fisher of men. You know, one of the joys and satisfactions of being a pastor is seeing people come to trust in Jesus Christ the Savior with all the baggage, all the trouble that they have in life. And then as time goes on, see what God does through the ministry of the Word and the Holy Spirit, transforming that life and making them responsible, God-loving Christians. That is so satisfying for a pastor. Look what you've done. No, 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 no. Look what the Word of God has done in that life. My job is to faithfully communicate it, accurately communicate it. You take it in, God will change your life and you will grow. It's a beautiful thing. Look with me to chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is what we need. Remember, the pastor, the word, or the Bible, and the church. We have to know the truth. That's why it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. You notice it doesn't say all opinion is given by inspiration of God. Talk about pollution opinion. No, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, which is teaching, for reproof, which is rebuke, for correction, that's setting things straight the way they're supposed to be, for instruction in righteousness, training us in the truth. And what's the result? That the man of God or the, the woman of whatever, I'm not talking about women preachers, but the man or woman of God, okay, the Christian, may be perfect. The word perfect means complete or mature. God's word is what grows us up and brings us to maturity. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Do you see what the word of God does? People say, well, we're not going to believe what you believe because that leads to a license of sin. One of the questions I got last night was this. I'm getting off just, just for a second. I got to just do it. Okay. Do you believe that a person accepts Christ and they can live like the devil? Well, you know what the Bible says? The short answer is yes. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I didn't say you should. But here's the truth. According to the Bible, according to 1 John chapter 3, every time you sin, you live like the devil. Do you still sin? You who say that, do you still sin? If you do, you're living like the devil. That's what the Bible says, because he's the father of sin. Do we understand it? And so here's the truth of it. I am looking at a bunch of little sinners, and I look at myself as well, three fingers pointing back at me. We're all sinners, and every time we sin, we live like the devil. Here's the truth. If you are saved by grace and you go on a path of rebellion towards God, God will discipline you in your life. He will chasten you to try to bring you back. Well, every true Christian comes back. No, they don't. You don't know your Bible. The Bible says there is a sin unto death that God does, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. God does take some children home who will not change. And he takes them home early, brings them to heaven, not hell, heaven. Those who will not respond to his chastening in their lives. See, friend, you don't lose your free will when you get saved. And you're still a sinner after you're saved. So every time we sin, we're living like the devil. Do you see it? Hope you see it. I know it's shocking terminology for some people, but it needs to be taught and proclaimed. 
God's word, though, will change us for the better. See, we need to be careful not to lose sight of the reason God has given us his word. It isn't so we can simply be theologians. People get so into that today. It is so we can reach people for Christ, build his church, and help people with the truth of God. It isn't just head knowledge. Oh, listen, I, I've been using Bible software since 1989, before a lot of you were even alive. Okay, back then, very few people used it. I started in 1989. Here's what I've seen over time. Our digital libraries have gotten so big and the technical tools and the way those things work have gotten so complex that we can spend our, most of our lives piddling around with stuff and reading this and reading that and all these rabbit trails. And we can get so involved in that that we stop talking to people about Christ and stop reaching out to help people and encourage them in the Lord. See, the devil can take something good and use it for bad. If you are saved and all you do is you sit in your ivory tower day after day, day after day, and piddle around with information on the internet or in software or in books and all that, and we have no desire to reach others for Christ, and we have no desire to help normal people with their problems, we're barking up the wrong tree. It's not what God's left us here. The books, the Bible, they're there to equip us to do the work of the ministry. They're not an end in themselves. Knowledge puffeth up. Love edifies. And love is an action word. It's not just a feeling. We need to study the word of God. And what I am saying, am I contradicting that? Well, I thought you say we're supposed to study. We are to study. But the end, the reason we're studying is to be more effective in reaching people for Christ and training other people, discipling people. And by the way, studying the scripture is not the same as simply having devotions where you're just reading, okay? You're just reading. That is important, reading it, just reading it. That is important, that's part of it. That's not all of it. God does want us to be able to dig in and have good, solid answers for things. But remember, it's always, that's a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. It's not an end in itself. We all need to do both. Verse 16. But shun, stay away from, profane and vain babblings. Don't you just love some of the terms in the Bible? Babblings. Some people are just babblers. Babble, 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 babble. What's all that? Babble, babble, babble. Profane means wicked. Vain means empty. This fits beautifully, by the way, with verse 14. Because the teaching of false teachers is profane and vain babblings. That's exactly what it is. If we are indeed in the last days, then why waste time with those who do not want the truth? It's easy for us. I understand. I've been guilty of it in my life as well. Okay, You're you're trying to reach somebody. You're trying to reach somebody. And all they want to do, they're closed. They will not listen. All they want to do is fight, fight, fight. And you get so wrapped up in dealing with this person that they're completely monopolizing your time and they really don't want to know. Friend, listen, there are billions of other fish in the sea. Doesn't mean we don't care. 
Say something like this after a while. If they're closed and all they want to do is fight, just say, hey, you know what? Well, if you ever want to talk more about this really open, you really, if you're open to what I'm saying and you maybe just don't understand it, if you ever want to talk, fine. But I'm not going to keep going, arguing with you about this, going around in circles, around in circles, around in circles. Don't do it. There are other people who are saying, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I need help. Will somebody tell me what I need? Lots of people that way. We're supposed to be here for them. Not spend all all our time arguing with people who don't want the truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Here's some examples. Look at this. And their word will eat as doth a canker. The word canker, we get our word gangrene from it. It's gangrenous. And their word will lead as doth a canger, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, strayed, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Now, I'm not sure exactly what they were getting at there, but obviously it was false doctrine, and Paul is noting it and marking it. And not only that, he's telling you who is spreading the false teaching. Oh boy, that's an anathema today. That's not religiously, politically correct. You can beat around the bush, bush, bush. You can beat around the bush, but don't name names. That's a no, no. Well, the Bible does. We're not in it to tear people down or, or attack character, their character or what's in their heart. You don't know what's in a person's heart. But what they say is fair game, Right? What they say is open. That's why Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, false prophets, by their fruit you shall know them. By the way, people love to use that out of context. By their fruit you shall know them. By their fruit you shall know them. Yeah, who's that talking about? False teachers. What is the fruit of a false teacher? Two things. His message, that's what he's bearing out of his mouth. His message and his disciples, that's his fruit. And you'll know a false teacher by their fruit. It's not talking about you judging whether a person's saved by the way they live. That person, they've got a problem with gossip. The Bible says you're not supposed to practice sin. They must not be saved. I've been watching them. They never put anything in the plate in the back. They're robbing God according to Malachi. They must not be saved. Mind your own business. Let's get reaching people for Christ. So what do we need? We need to, number one, we need to know the word. Secondly, we need to live out the word. Head knowledge is great, but it's supposed to be transferred to the feet. Verses 19 through 21. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. That's his business, by the way. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord has saved us unto godliness, folks. Listen, when we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior apart from works, he saved us, but he saved us unto godliness. We're not saved by living godly. We're not kept saved by living godly. We don't prove we're saved by living godly because there are people in cults who mimic that. They live clean lives and people say, well, they must be saved because they live a clean life. No, 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 no. What do they believe? But right belief should spill over into the way we live. I emphasize the word should. 
The truth we know should work its way out into godly living. When God's word is received and obeyed, it will result in a transformed life, but it has to be received and it has to be obeyed. We as Christians should live differently from those that are lost. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved from the power of sin. And we will one day realize the fact of being saved from the very presence of sin. There should be, should be, a visible difference of the invisible difference. But that's not for me to judge on your part, you, me looking at you and judging whether you're saved or not. No, no, no. As we live for Christ, God's word will change us. But if you don't live for Christ, God's word won't change you. And that's the truth of it. 1 Peter 1.14, it says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You see that? The sinful desires we had, now that we're children, we ought to be obedient. And those sinful desires, yeah, those are theirs. And, and the way we lived our lives, that's the way it was before we were saved. But that's when you were ignorant. You didn't know any better. Now that we're saved, we ought to be growing. We ought to be God, more godly. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy as I am holy. Verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. These are believers who are living godly, dedicated lives, vessels of gold and silver to honor, okay? The end of their lives will be honor. Then there are those who are living carnal lives, Christians who are living carnal lives. The end of their lives will be dishonor or literally shame and reproach. What about us? If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now I believe, and I'll, we'll pick up on this next week, but I believe that the these of this verse is referring to those who are living corrupt lives of sin, dishonor. We're supposed to separate from them. Don't run with people who are bent on living in rebellion to the truth of God. They will end up polluting you, okay? If they want to be helped, help them. But if they're bent on that kind of life, don't run that way. They're going to take you down. One man said, friends are like buttons on an elevator. They're either going to take you up or down. That's true. Here's the point today. Let's bring it back, and we'll review some of this next week, but bring it back to the basics today. Look with me to John chapter 3. If there's anything we should be talking about, sharing with others, it's how to know that you're going to heaven when you die. Let me explain it as clearly as I can today. This is sin. No, not really. It represents sin. Let this hand represent you and me. Here we are, all of us. The Bible says we are all sinners. We all have sin on us. Yet the scriptures say God loves us, for God so loved the world. That's us. He hates our sin, hates it, hates all sin, but loves us. To get to heaven, we have to be sinless in the eyes of God, but we're not. We're sinners. Not only that, but God says, I am a holy God, and I will punish sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If we are going to have to pay for the sins that we have committed 
And make no mistake, a payment must be made. If we are going to do it, we're going to have to spend forever suffering in hell to pay for that sin. That is not the will of God for you and for me or anyone else. God wants us to live with him forever in heaven. Now, most religions come around and they say, okay, well, you have to reform your life in some way. You have to be sorry or you have to turn from your sins or you have to do good works or you have to behave or you need to stop doing this and stop doing all these bad things, which may be good things to stop, but they make it a requirement to getting your sins paid for. God says, no, good works will not take away your sin for by grace are you saved through faith. Now, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are in this predicament. We're sinners. Our sin must be paid for and good works won't take it away. What are we going to do? Well, there's nothing we could do in ourselves to take care of it because God requires a death payment. The beauty of the word of God and the teaching of scripture and the message of scripture is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the sinless son of God, he came into the world sinless. Therefore, he had no sin of his own to pay for. Man, not angel, Man, therefore, he could be a substitute for us, a sinless substitute. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took that sin upon himself. He made the payment for it. God poured his wrath out on Jesus. He was buried, but he rose again three days later to prove he had paid for sin and that God accepted the payment he had made for man's sin. And the Bible says all that's left is simply for us to believe that he did that for us personally, to put our faith in him, that he did that for us personally. When you believe in him as your savior, he gives you that moment. Notice what it says, everlasting life. Means it never stops once you have it. You're eternally secure once you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. For God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now you can know what I just said and you can say, oh yeah, that's interesting. But I, I, I still think, uh, no, I, I need to do good things to get to heaven. You're rejecting the payment Christ made. You're saying, I will take care of this. Well, God says, if you're going to do it, you're going to be lost forever. I urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior today. He'll give you everlasting life. It's a free gift, free gift. No strings attached. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.